Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to this free episode of Dunk Don. If you're interested in the NBA salary cap, I highly recommend subscribing to Dunk Don Prime. In addition to Nate and Danny's five episodes per week that often get into cap issues, you'll also get my daily dunks, which are exclusively on Dunk Don Prime. I often go into salary cap details. Uh, today it was digging into what the Suns could do with Chris Paul, who has a partial guarantee for next season. Are they allowed to waive him, waive and stretch him, re-sign him under what circumstances? How could it be financially advantageous to both sides? Dug into that, and that's just one example. Stuff like that several times per week. You'll also get Seth Partnow's written analysis. You'll get a Hollinger and Duncan episode every week, all ad-free. So we hope you'll take advantage of our mock-off season sale. Named, of course, after the mock-off season where Nate, Danny, and Kevin Pelton and myself uh, will each split up the teams. Nate will be the agents. We'll negotiate contracts beforehand. It's another great way to learn more about the NBA salary cap, the NBA landscape, what options are available to teams, what routes they might pursue. Uh, it's proven to be highly predictive over the years. That we find it a valuable exercise for really assessing the market, and this is a great time to subscribe so you can get that episode and everything else we're doing. You can subscribe with that mock off-season sale at dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. All right, welcome on to the return of the Cap Father, Larry Kuhn. Kind enough to join us again. We hit on many of the major points in our first episode, but that, of course, is nowhere near good enough for us. Now we got to really get into the weeds the minutia. We've both had a chance to have some conversations, uh, clarify uh, a few things as well, and really get into basically everything that we know about this upcoming 2023 CBA. Uh, Larry, before we get started, I know uh, part of why you wanted to come on is to talk again about Sports Business Classroom. Uh, we'll save some more time for that at the end if you're interested. Uh, but quickly, what is uh, the new deal that y'all are offering? Well, thanks, Nate. And yeah, this is twice in one offseason that I'm on Dunked On, which is, you know, I'm, I'm first of all, I'm honored because uh, I haven't seen you that much recently. So it, it's good to be on the show. Uh, and yeah, Sports Business Classroom is going to be July 9th through 15th, immersed. I mean, we are in the arena, immersed in the NBA Summer League um, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, so we are nearing selling out. And I'm just trying to get us, get the registration closed so I can pay attention to things like, you know, rewriting my entire curriculum because there's a new CBA, you know, <laughs> little trivia things like that. So uh, 
let's, let's just get a registration closed. I'm going to incentivize people even more. So uh, you got to listen to this podcast, first of all. And in, in fact, I might do something to make sure you're going to listen and not just do, you know, the your your usual cap space promo code, but we might throw a twist at people because I want to catch, I, I not only want to get it closed, but I want good students. We're always looking for the best people. And Dunked On has always been one of the prime places that the people who are right in our demographic will congregate. Your listeners have always been great in um, becoming SBC students and moving on from there. So I want to incentivize that. Um, so stay tuned toward the end of this podcast and I will give a special offer. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that we have uh, the absolute biggest nerds listening to this program. <laughs> That's what I've always taken pride in. So we hit on most of the big stuff uh, back in mid-May. If you want to catch up, listen to that one first. Uh, the place I want to start actually really quickly here to just bandy back and forth is the term. We have another seven-year term for this. But again, it's this mutual opt-out uh, after mm -hmm. six years. And it ends, so that would be the summer of 2029. One or both parties may send written notice of opting out a little bit earlier now. It's in October. I think it was in December the last two times. This mutual opt-out, why do you think they do it that way with oh, this mutual opt-out? Yeah, it, it's easy. And this is is a you know proven way to get stuff done. You know, I, I'm a manager in my day job, I'm a manager. I have many people working for me. And there's there's lots of assignments going on at any one time, projects, etc. If you do not set deadlines, you don't know when things are going to get done. Um, you have to set deadlines and, and, and that's going to give people something to work toward and, and make sure that things are getting done when they're supposed to be getting done so that you have time to sequence other things that have to happen that may be dependent on this thing. So it, it's just this, this big, um, set of, of setting the correct deadlines for the work and, and making sure people meet those so that the whole thing flows. Now, if you think about the CBA, if they go right up to the expiration date of the CBA, that's not a good thing because the next day, lockout, right? There is no CBA. They can't open the doors and do business. They have to lock out the players until they get a CBA. They get the ground rules down for them to open the doors and start doing business again. You can't let it go all the way to the end. Of course, sometimes that happens. It happens in 99. It happened uh, in um, 2011. Um, it, it even, you know, happened one of those things. It happened for a couple of days in 2005, the situation I just talked about, where they basically had an agreement in place, but they went all the way to July 1st and they had to say, okay, everybody freeze. We got to continue working on this. And they had an agreement within a few days and, you know, then had to ratify it and then go through the, the drafting of it and getting that, that signed off, which takes time and it wastes time for the league because, yeah, the off season's all summer, but it's also short in many regards. So the best way to get this done so that they have a new agreement in place in time is to set an earlier deadline. And the mutual opt-out allows them to do that. They never really intended for this to be a seven-year agreement. They intended really to be a six-year agreement, and which is what happened this past time and happened the time before that. Um, 
they intended to be a shorter agreement where um, the stakes are a little bit lower, right? The worst thing that's going to happen, they don't have an agreement. They just play this that last season, that seventh season of the CBA, and they get into the 2005 situation. Hopefully, they get it done in time. They're probably scrambling at the end. And by the way, the more they're scrambling at the end, the more errors creep up and you know things that they don't think about. Yeah. They'd rather get this done ahead of time. Setting a deadline a year ahead of time in the form of a mutual opt-out is the mechanism that does that. Yeah, and then moving it back from December to October, I think that that's been, they've experienced some of that this year where they pushed it back and then they pushed it back again, the deadline to opt out. So there never actually was an official opt-out that occurred this year, right? That it was uh, right. So, and I think the mutuality aspect of it, that's, I, I've always been like, oh, what's the point of that, right? Like somebody's going to opt out. Somebody's going to be unhappy. And when it comes to player contracts, you know, they don't really have that in basketball. Like Josh Hart kind of has that this year, but uh, it's really hard to establish it uh, due to some of the rules. But I think that it is kind of useful to have that just because each side is always sort of trying to win the PR battle. And so if there is a labor stoppage, the other side can say, well, hey, we were ready to just play out the year. Like they, they're the ones who opted out. So there is at least a little bit of an aspect of forcing sides to the table. There is a negative to be like, all right, we are the ones who officially hit the button to blow this up and potentially lead to a work stoppage. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the last time that negotiations were really not on friendly and productive terms was 2011. And since then, the, the, the working relationship between the league and the union has been really good. So, you know, hopefully it stays that way and new deals get done a year ahead of time and everybody's happy. But should it ever come down to uh, another situation where, and, you know, it could be different players in the room, it could be different situations on the ground, whatever. Uh, if they ever get into a situation where it's not on such uh, um, good faith and friendly terms anymore, then the mutual opt-out gives both sides that weapon. So neither one is wielding that over the other two. All right. A few other things we need to to hit on here. I'll let you take the, the next pick of whether it's in conversations you've had or something we didn't get to the first time, uh, something that you find interesting uh, or maybe uninteresting and we just have to talk about it anyway because that's what we do here uh sure. let's, what do you want to get to here i'll just go to the like the first thing in, in my my notes with my last conversation which was just um one like this is a minor point about cap smoothing and i may have even made this this point when we talked last but but just to clarify here because we were talking about how um, the the cap they finally got cap smoothing in the agreement, which they should have had in the 2017 agreement, but they just failed to get it done. The league proposed it. There were people on the union side who were in favor of it, but the union overall came down on the side of no, we're not going to accept that proposal, and that was to the detriment of a lot of players because yeah, as, well the as, league the league uh, didn't want to give them anything, and the union didn't understand how it was going to help them to do it, and so you just ended up with it it not getting done and they both hurt themselves in the end probably yeah when you're when you're in the mode of doing transactional negotiation that's an issue where you're looking for something in return for something it's like no this is not something we're getting this is actually we're proposing this for your good because 
the the without caps moving when there was a huge spike to the cap, the, what we call the shock to the system, right? When that happens um, under the old system, the money could only go to the free agent class that year, and you know a huge jump to the cap. Teams need to spend at least ninety percent of the cap, so teams need to really increase their spending. Players already under contract; they're already under contract, so they're not getting any more money. The at at the time under the previous CBA, all of these or two pre two CBAs ago, um, a lot of the exceptions, um, the rookie scale and the minimums were set in advance, so they were trailing the market by the time you get toward where the new TV deal came up and. The money could not go to rookies coming in, could not go to minimum salary players, could not go to players on exceptions. Who does that leave? The free agent class. So we get to the situation where, you know, I always joke that Timothy Moskov and Lou Alding, you know, really cashed in on that one because, you know, they, they got the money had to go to these players and they got enormous deals well above their value, not only in terms. And then because it was a seller's market at that point, they got four year deals, which is the maximum. And those were just bad contracts that really hamstrung those teams um, under the new agreement. And, and oh, by the way, the cap smoothing concept just um, artificially keeps the, the salary cap lower than what the formula what would say. And the formula is supposed to set it appropriately based on the money that's supposed to be coming in. By artificially holding it lower, it's forcing the league to play to pay the players collectively less than they're guaranteed to make. And when that happens, the CBA says, that's a guarantee. You got to pay us that money anyways. So the league writes a check to the Players Association. If they're whatever, um, $500 million short, they write a $500 million check to the Players Association. The Players Association distributes that how they want, but their practice has always been to distribute it to all the players in the league. So what cap smoothing does in effect through that mechanism is says if there's a big shock to the system, then the money goes, the extra money goes to all the players in the league and not just Timothy Moskov and Luol Deng and, and, and whoever happens to be a free agent. Right. Don't give Bismack Biombo short shrift. And Bismack Biombo. He's actually like pr- probably of all the players that got crazy contracts that year, it's either probably him or Batum that are still, <laughs> that are even like still playing at, at, at this point. I know. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That, <laughs> that, uh, someday I'll have to go back and do like a full accounting of, of which of those deals ended up the, the craziest. But yeah, so oh, it's, sure. I, I think it's, it's a really good thing. I was thinking like, well, some players are going to try to time their free agency for the summer of 2025 when the new TV deal t- kicks in. And now that you're limited to a 10% increase in the cap i mean that matters that'll give some teams cap space but you're not gonna have that'll be phased in over a period of years when that new tv deal so you won't have just that 2025 free agent class yeah so if if there's a huge spike in 2025 so two things the first thing is like we said it's cap smoothing they they say the cap cannot rise more than 10 percent year over year so if if a huge you know, uh, influx of money comes in from the new TV deal. The cap otherwise would have risen 30%. Well, it's only going to rise 10% in that first year. The excess money would go to the players uh, league-wide, uh, which which smooths that shock. It spreads out the money. And then over, over the years, they catch up. The players still get 
collectively what they're guaranteed to get. It's just the money gets spread differently and because this money goes through a different mechanism. But then the second thing is they already fixed a lot of the problem anyways. Because like I said, under two CBAs ago, the 2015 CBA, um, they had preset minimum salaries, the rookie scale contract, and exceptions for the entire length of the agreement when they signed the agreement. They just, they just factored in uh, normal you know, increases over the life of the agreement. And so they said, these are what these values are going to be for the exceptions and the minimums and the rookie salaries for this year, next year, all the way through seven years from now. So that you could not give them more money, you know, six years later when there was a huge cap increase. The those exceptions in proportion to the salary cap were just way behind, way below what they should have been. Well, they fixed that. So in the new agreement, in fact, they made it even better in the new agreement. Now everything is tied to the cap year by year. Rookie scale salaries, minimum salaries, you know, even even like the apron margins and things like that. Everything yeah. in the yeah. league the, the grows tax bans, that's a big one too. Yeah. Right. Everything in the in the league goes up or down in proportion to how much the cap goes up and down. So if the cap in, with even without the smoothing, if the cap increases 30%, well, every exception, the rookie scale contracts and the minimums also would increase 30%. So at least more of the money can go to those people. But then with cap smoothing, um, so that's now becomes the secondary form of controlling the shock of the system. The, um, the cap smoothing just ensures that it gets spread out even more. And, and now we have a system that's just much more palatable. There's no incentive to become a free agent in a particular summer. Um, and the league likes that. The league likes a situation where it doesn't matter which season you happen to become a free agent. It should be all the same. And you could time the length of your contract for other reasons than, oh, I want to be in this season when this thing happens financially. All right. Uh, good explanation there of the cap smoothing. And uh, if only you'd been around to explain that to Michelle Roberts in, in 2014, maybe some, something that could have been avoided. Uh, I, I was there and I was saying it. <laughs> we were all saying it, it was at, not listening at the to time. Me. Um, but I mean, that was in their defense. That was a different climate. There wasn't as much trust between the sides. Yeah. And, you know, again, if the league had really wanted it that much, they could have offered something to make it happen. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant 
the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout easy remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that capspace code to let them know you came from us Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. So let's we can transition here. We talked about this a little bit on the last program. I, I wanted to clarify it because I, I think we, we, it's just become clear as as a result of conversations that we've had. We talked about this idea. This is a, kind of a small thing, uh, but it wanted to make sure we clarified it since like, we weren't quite right on it last time. The idea of a team being over the second apron and then sign and trading a player. You you can think of this ultimately as. The Kevin Durant, D'Angelo Russell rule, like another one of these bill of attainder style of changes <laughs> to, uh, oh, so the Golden State Warriors, the Clippers did something. So now we're going to take it away. So you recall in the 2019 offseason, Kevin Durant leaves and the Warriors do a sign and trade with him and get back D'Angelo Russell. And you can either they got a trade exception. They happen to use it at that time. You could also have ju- they could also have just saved it to use it later. Now, however, you can't do that anymore if you are over the second apron or if you sign and trade a player and get a traded player exception, then you can't go over the second apron later that essentially you can't do that anymore. You, you now if you sign and trade a player out, that's not a mechanism to get a traded player exception, keep your salary up and bring another player in anymore. You just don't get that traded player exception. And so that's that's basically just a way. It, it's kind of funny because now that incentivizes even more. The only way you can keep your salary up is just re-signing your own free agents. You can't do it by that traded player exception. So what do you think of that briefly? Is that, I don't think it's going to matter too much, but uh, it's basically a way to say like, hey, if this guy leaves, you're, you can't can't keep your salary up anymore. Yeah. So the the first thing here is um, noting that whenever Kevin Durant changes teams as a free agent, they have to make a new rule. Period. <laughs> All right. Yeah. The second yeah. thing. That's, that's, that's right. You know, the, the whole point of, of the second apron or, you know, the hold my beer apron is, is that they were trying to come up with more and 
and more onerous ways to disincentivize the teams that just didn't care about how much they were spending. You know, the Warriors being the the, the prime example, but, you know, the Clippers, you know, any, any team that just says, apron, schmapron, we'll, we'll keep spending. They had to further disincentivize that. And I even brought it up, like the, the whole thing we talked about uh, in the last podcast, where we were talking about the freezing of the draft picks and, and, and the effect there. And I was just kind of going back to, you were just looking for new and creative ways to mess with teams, weren't you? Well, we had to come up with something. So, you know, this is one of those things uh, where, uh, you know, how do you further penalize a team that um, where we want to start imposing further penalties? And, you know, the freezing graphics was one and all these other things we talked about in relation to the second apron. And this thing that you just brought up being another one where, okay, um, you you under, under the first apron, under the previous CPA, you couldn't receive a player in a sign and trade. Okay, that, that penalty is is still there established at the first one now um at the second apron they're saying okay not that you can't sign and trade a player but as you said you they lose the exception that you would gain for having signed and traded a player so it makes sense as something they take away now when we were looking at it previously and 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 sort of reading what they wrote about it it was a little bit unclear what they meant so i'm glad i got that clarified and this is a, as i mentioned one of these reactions to something that a team did and but it's amusing to me that in this cba we have a few mechanisms that eliminate the unintended consequences of these previous rules that they came up with we already talked about eliminating the designated player limitation last year and then the other one of those is they have now relaxed what i like to call the carmelo rule where after he before the 2011 cba wanted to be traded to the knicks and then sign an extension for basically the full amount of money you could have gotten as a free agent they've prevented you from doing that after that it was if you extend you either can't be traded but well so so there's a limitation on it basically previously you could if you extended for more than two years or greater than 105 percent raises and that's two extra years so three total including the current season then you couldn't be traded for six months they basically wanted to or if you've been traded then you can't sign an extension for more than that for six months afterwards they basically wanted to prevent players from doing that and of course what ended up happening was that was the idea behind that was oh well then players won't ask for a trade but players are really you know there there's there's rules against they they put limitations on sign and trade and extend and trade as a single transaction so they have to cover the bases when the teams try to get around this by doing it as two separate and distinct transactions by saying you know they can't say well if you sign this you can never be traded um so they have to come up with a point in time after, during which you can't and then after that it's fine six months is what they come up. and so now though they've relaxed that mellow rule and so now you can that limitation is four years extension so basically three new years if you're in the last year of your deal because that four years includes any remaining seasons on the contract and now you can get up to 120 percent raises so you can't get your full amount because that would be five years and 140 percent uh if you're not subject to that limitation but it's been removed a lot basically i think 
because they realized, oh, wait a minute, this thing that's supposed to protect teams, like, oh yeah, players just, well, if they can't get their, their full money, they just, they'll be happy there once you prevent them from going somewhere else and getting it. No, of course, they're still going to want to be traded or probably more importantly, teams themselves are going to want to move guys when it doesn't yeah. make sense to retain them. And hey, if the team that's receiving the guy can extend him and have that security of knowing, hey, I just traded for this guy. Now I can offer him a contract that he's going to agree to. That benefits everyone, right? It benefit like rather than quote unquote protecting the team that's trying to trade the guy, it actually hurt them because they couldn't get as much for the guy in trade. And same thing, of course, with that designated player rule where you know the Anthony Davis can't get traded to Boston, who has the best package because Kyrie Irving is already there. That only hurt the New Orleans Pelicans, probably in the end, who's trying to trade him. So they, they kind of figured out like oh wait a minute like this is completely counterproductive it only hurts the teams we're trying to protect so let's loosen these rules up yeah this this is kind of a greater theme that um certainly was continued in this cba but even existed in the last cba where you know you you have your your spenders your overspenders and your egregious overspenders right and they were focused on overspenders period in the form of the luxury tax in the form of the system restrictions uh, you know and even the the cap rules that existed prior to that where there were a lot of you can't do x um because x gave them an inch of advantage in in gaming the system and and they had to go in and try to prevent all the possible ways of gaming the system with the unintended consequence as you said where sometimes that prevents things that make sense from happening as well so in the last cba and the new cba and especially the new cba um they're saying okay we we understand that everybody is is a spender. A lot of you are overspenders. We're not going to care about that as much. It's the egregious overspenders that we're really going to focus on here. And for everybody else, we're just going to go back to relaxing the rules because, yeah, you can get away with an inch. You're not going to get away with a mile by doing that. And, and this is all going to even out at the end. So why not relax the rules? And we see this in relaxing how ex- ex- exceptions can be used. We see it relaxing the trade margins, how much you can get back in trade. Uh, a lot of these other things are, you know, it's like, let, let's just relax the rules. Let more stuff happen. Let, let the chips fall where they may. It's all going to work out evenly. And we're going to focus on more on the overspenders and, and disincentivizing them through the tax and the other things at the first apron and really put the hammer down on the egregious overspenders so it or, is, or the underspenders for that matter too right that, and that the is the other thing yeah. right? i think that's that to me is not being talked about it enough i mean at some point well i i will want to get your opinion on just like kind of who won these uh these cba negotiations because i think there's a feeling that the players just got hosed and i'm not sure that that's true um but that's that's maybe once we get through everything we can talk more about that um yeah just so we have it here you referenced it we didn't specifically do these numbers so in terms of relaxing the trade margins now if up to 7.5 million dollars in outgoing salary you can bring back 200% of that plus $250,000 so you could trade out a guy making 7.5 million bring back a guy making over 15 million if you wanted to do that of course this is if you're below that first apron so it's just much easier to add salary there and then between 7.5 million and $1 to 29 million then you can take back 
plus 7.5 million of whatever you're sending out. And then once you get above 29 million in outgoing salary, you're limited to 125% of that plus $250,000. So you're, you've got just more flexibility to add salary, make trades, uh, as well. Um, so just wanted to get that, those numbers out there for people who hadn't seen or calculated that yet. What else we got to talk about here? What's, uh, what, what is on your mind? Could be small, could be big. Well, and, and ju- just one more piece of commentary. Okay. What you okay. just said. Yeah. So this is a perfect example of what we were just talking about, right? It used to be that, um, you know, it was, uh, you can go and trade up 25% plus a hundred thousand dollar fudge factor. Uh, they increased it in the last CBA to 175% plus the same fudge factor for, for low salary trades. Again, look, look at thinking here. If it's a low value trade, we don't care so much about you exceeding a certain margin. You're fine, right? It's only when you start spending a little bit more. It gets into that middle tier and it used to be 5 million. Um, you can go up and, and now it just increased to 7.5 million. And it was only the high value trades that they really reined them in because that's where teams can really cause some damage. And they just loosened it up. They loosened it up to 200%. They loosened up the fudge factor um, for everybody to $250,000. So it's a perfect example of the small stuff. We're not going to sweat. We're going to try to make it easier. So back to your question, yes. um, which yeah. was, what are what are some of the other things to talk about? Well, I did get some clarification on, on a couple of things. Um, let, let's sort of talk about the comp, um, because we did say that uh, you know, since players are required to attend the combine now, that gives the league access to all the medicals for for players, um, which is a good thing uh, for teams who are thinking about drafting a player to be able to have more complete information to look at uh, when they're making making these these crucial decisions. And the league sort of protected them a little bit. Where if you're the likely first pick in the draft, then the 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 um, the medicals only go to certain teams in the range where like one to six or one to nine, something like that, where the player could likely be drafted. If it's like the first one of the first three picks, it can go to like the first 15 teams. If it's the rest, um, then it can go to the entire league, you know, something like that, where a team just can't get the medicals on, on a player who might be drafted well above where they're going to draft because you have no reason for that. So the first thing that I thought of, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast, was, well, what about a team who is thinking about trading up in the draft? Do they get screwed? Because, yeah, the the team that they're trading with has these medicals in hand, and the team who's thinking of trading for that pick does not. Can this this pick, this team that is um, looking at trading the draft pick go, you know, I see this in the medicals for this player. I don't think we're going to trade this pick. And I mean, I think we're going to trade this pick, not use this pick because we're worried about this medical condition for this player. So sure, we'll trade the pick to you. Yeah, let, yeah, let's do this negotiation. And then then the other team gets the, 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 um, the draft rights to the higher pick. Now they're entitled to the medicals and, you know, they, they read the medicals and go, oh, geez, you know, I didn't know about that when, and you did when we were doing this negotiation. So uh, that point was acknowledged uh, with a big but, uh, which is teams don't, by and large, almost exclusively, do not trade draft rights before the the draft, right? They they would typically trade um, either 
either at the draft, depending on on when a, 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 on a certain pick that's made. Um, but and also if it's before the draft, you know you're 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 not restricted to a particular player. Okay? If you trade up to let's say the third pick, you've got the third pick. Whether the guy that you're looking for has has a, a potential medical issue or not, and you still get to select from all but two players in that draft at that third pick. So you're not hugely disadvantaged by the fact that um, the the medicals on the guy that you were looking at aren't what you were hoping to see. Yeah. And of course, you can also just ask the guy's agent to give it to you. There's nothing restricting them from giving it to... Generally, if you're going to trade up, like, you, for example, Markel Fultz, uh, the Celtics uh, trading away that pick to Philly in 2017. Th- that was if that was done ahead of time. They knew who they were going to get. Fultz was okay with with going there. He wanted to be the number one pick. Like usually, if it's going to be that high in the draft, guys will want to be picked there. So usually, you can work it out, even if for some reason they're outside of that range of teams that's supposed to to get the the uh, medical information. Yeah. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. 
And then um, I have one other clarification to, to give real quick, sure. uh, where sure. where we were looking at the language and we're entirely sure about how they're implementing this. Um, and this one was, as we were thinking, it should be. And this is the case where if you're over the second apron, um, any trade exceptions um, ex- from the previous year expire. And uh, of course, they have to complicate this. For, for the purpose of this rule, a year starts and ends the day after the team's season ends. So either somewhere from April to June, where they can start making trades again. Um, and we were wondering, okay, what exactly, you know, because you're talking about a non-simultaneous trade, a quote-unquote trade exception, where you trade one guy for less money, whatever the difference is, you have that that as a, um, a gift card to cash in for the next year. Um and we were wondering, well, okay, so a team is over the second apron. They make a trade at the trade deadline in February. Does that mean, you know, if their season ends May 15th, that on May 16th, that trade exception vanishes? And the answer is yes, that's exactly what it is. So when their season ends, any trade exceptions that arose previous to that, to that day, basically, they don't get to use them anymore. Just one more disincentive when a team is over that second apron. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I guess the the idea being that, again, same thing to just lower your salary artificially. And I think part of the reason for that is... Okay, let's say you're at the second apron at the uh, at the trade deadline. You trade someone away, get a trade exception, you get under the second apron. Right? Like there's an incentive to do that, to unfreeze your draft pick, et cetera. And then, oh, but you still have the trade exception from having been over the second apron earlier in right. the season. And now the next season, you can just get right back up to that salary level again. And then, oh, okay, maybe somebody that we signed isn't performing. We'll just do the same thing again next year. So it kind of prevents you from doing that dance of artificially getting out of the second apron even though you're starting off over it every year and so it just makes it easier to get back up over the second apron again at the start of the year with so they they wanted to prevent that that would be my read on that. yeah and teams also remember partly those trade exceptions over successive years by just doing more trades into the exceptions they get a little bit smaller each time you do it but teams have successfully been able to do that quite a bit Absolutely. Yeah. Uh that that's probably a uh more of a more of a clippers centric uh <laughs> <laughs> uh bill, bill of attainder there. Uh so yeah, we we talked a little bit about the combine and, and this has been something that's gotten a, a lot of press as well. This is something that the league was really pushing for for a long time. Agents pushed back on it. If you didn't want to go to, say, uh, back when they weren't any good, the Sacramento Kings, for example, you did not send them the medicals. Now, basically, players have to attend the combine. They have to do uh, the, to the extent that they are physically able, uh, the strength and agility tests, shooting drills, and all of the anthropometric anthropometric measurements, I think is what it says here. Uh, five on five, still optional, though, at the Combine. And there's other stuff doing the media when you're at the Combine as well. That's that's kind of been a big focus of the CBA is just getting the players to do more media stuff, even when you're not playing in games, for example, during the season. And, of course, the, the most important stuff, that medical. And if you don't do that, then you are basically not eligible to be drafted. Yeah, and even if you have an excuse for injury or whatever, when you're able to do them, you still have to do them. Yeah, yeah, and there's a, there's an ob- objective standard of players not being able to participate. They're required to complete what they can do. 
And then they have to subsequently complete those components at a later point. Uh, And generally, it'll be hard to fudge that because, I mean, you're unless you're just the number one pick, obviously, and you're injured, you can't just go do a private workout for a team later. You you have an incentive to work out. And then if you do that, it's like, oh, wait a minute, but you didn't do the testing. It's like, well, all right, go over here. Let's let's do that testing. Right, right. Uh, So you're saying that Wemby is trying to get out of going to Dallas? Is this a scoop? <laughs> I'm sorry, San Antonio, not Dallas. Yeah, San, San Antonio. So no, I, I mean, by all accounts, he wants to go there. Uh, and then yep. there, and, and there are a few other things too, because there are going to be findings by these physicians and maybe the player doesn't agree with that right maybe the physician's like all right this guy's knee is messed up you can now get an independent second opinion from a physician at uh, the combine and that will also then be entered into the player's file so you, you have if you disagree with one of these medical findings that's i mean that's this is like the official thing that every team is going to see so you could say no here let's get a, a second opinion right. that goes into you know, that file as well and by and large anything that's a judgment call like that whether it's whether an incentive is likely or unlikely whether uh, you know any any little thing um like that where it's a matter of interpretation uh you know it goes there's a means to appeal that to a third party there's the fitness to play panels and the ability to appeal those there's you know the independent basketball expert for likely versus unlikely incentives things like that so this is another interesting one and there are actually a lot of complaints about this john and i were talking about this a little bit of players uh, or agents organizing their own pro days you know this is something that's happened you're not gonna be able to do that anymore basically uh there are just going to be a couple of them that are organized uh by the nba and the players association in certain areas in addition of course that having everyone have to be at the combine so you're not going to have this thing where every agency has their own pro day everybody's got to fly there if you want to do something like that it's got to be at kind of one of these league sanctioned approved pro days or it's just going to again be individual workouts uh, with teams yeah and the whole thing uh, the whole thing with that with the medicals is just they don't want uh, uh draftees playing favorites they want every team to have an equal opportunity as defined by the draft for any player and they don't want any any player able to dictate which team he's going to go to or, or strongly influence that decision uh and then also for the draft i thought this is a important that you're not automatically eligible now if you play in a domestic pro league basically if you're playing for g league ignite and you want to stay there another year you are not automatically eligible it used to be if you play in a domestic pro league that isn't the nba you automatically become eligible for the draft but now that they have g league ignite that doesn't make sense anymore so they're uh, eliminating that you can there's no reason for guys playing professionally i think overtime elite would be another one of these two playing professionally for a u.s team to be in a worse situation than guys playing professionally overseas so they eliminated that rule they treat them the same basically yeah the distinction between what's a professional basketball player has sort of been demurred over time and this just recognizes that all right what else do you want to talk about here uh one one other little thing i have um which is and this is something i complain about um to anyone who will listen including you uh, I have never liked one of the restricted free agency rules. And that rule is the one that if a player is a restricted free agent, um, he can receive an offer sheet during the July moratorium, which is is great um, because it fixes one of the problems. It, it attempts to fix one of the problems, which is 
um, by the time um, uh, teams turn their attention to the restricted free agents, a lot of the money's dried up because it's already the big money has been allocated to the uh, players who are unrestricted free agents. And, you know, by then you only have a few teams with any kind of spendable cap room left and teams don't want to freeze their their money for a long period of time because they can't exercise plan B or plan C or whatever. Um, so restricted free agents just become the, the, the afterthought in this whole process. Um, and the unrestricted free agents are the kings. And so they um, made a good move in the last CBA, I thought, which was to say a, a restricted free agent can receive an offer sheet during the moratorium. But they didn't um, start the, um, the the two-day matching period, which under the current CBA is as short as one day. They didn't start the matching period until after the July work agreement. So the net effect is that, let's say that a restricted free agent got an offer sheet on July 1st. Well, the other team didn't have to match it until July 8th two days after the moratorium. So rather than giving the other team two days, you know, put them under pressure, you got to make a decision in two days. Otherwise he's ours. Uh, now you're, you're giving the team eight days to make this decision. And yeah. you know, that that's even worse on the restricted free agent. So the response to that was sort of a, yeah, but again, where part of it is they wanted to have the team who was under that pressure have the opportunity to do some kind of maneuvering that they they have to do, making another trade or freeing up salary or whatever, um, in order to be able to keep their own guy. And the teams can't do a lot of that kind of maneuvering during the moratorium. So they wanted to provide that a, a window of time for that opportunity after the moratorium, um, which well, makes and, sense. And they wanted to just make it harder to do an offer sheet and keep restricted free agent salaries down. And, yeah. And, and the <laughs> other part about that is because they made the point. Yeah, you're still I mean, and I, I even said how many restricted free agents in the past CBA received an offer sheet during the moratorium? And the answer and is zero, right? That's the answer. So, you know, clearly this rule allowing a player to, to and a team to sign an offer sheet during the moratorium didn't accomplish anything. Um, and, and because the disincentive is stronger and it just came down to, yeah, you know what? Restricted free agency is just that it's restricted. And th- there are things you can't do as a restricted free agent. And this is just one of those consequences. And in striking the balance between the players and the league, we and the teams, we made it, we made it better. Right? We shortened the match period, so it got a little bit shorter, um, and that does help the players, but it, it didn't entirely tilt the balance in favor of the players. We're continuing to try to strike that balance between the players and the teams. Yeah, not, not much to add there. I wanted to add this one, and this one hasn't been talked about very much that I've seen. You now have more flexible stretch rules. I call this the Joakim Noah rule, where in the summer of 2018, the Knicks uh, had this big plan. They were going to use cap space in the summer of 2019, but they didn't want to have Joakim Noah on their roster for the entire season taking up a roster spot. They wanted to waive him, but if they waived him and didn't stretch him at that point, then his whole salary for the 1920 season would have been on their books and they wouldn't have had the amount of cap space. So they basically had to decide in the summer of 2018, do we stretch him or not? 
And so they ended up stretching him his remaining salary over five years. That gave him a bunch of cap space. They didn't get the Kevin Durant, who they wanted. They ended up getting Julius Randle, which actually worked out great for them. But they still, it seemed like they may have, if they'd had their druthers, they would have rather let Noah's salary be on their books for the full amount and then just had more flexibility going forward. Now, though, you can stretch a guy and or, or you can waive a guy and you can make a one-time election by August 31st of any salary cap year to stretch that player. So in this case, the Knicks would have waived him, left all of his salary on the books for the 18-19 season when they weren't going to do anything with cap space anyway. Gotten that, whatever it was, $18 million out of the way. And then if they had wanted to, if they really had free agents they wanted to sign, they could have elected to stretch that one remaining year on his contract then over three years. Uh, it's also will help out guys like John Wall. You remember, he kind of just wallowed on the Rockets for a couple of years because they're like, ah, you know, we could still maybe trade him. Like, we don't know if we're going to want to stretch him or not, when we're going to want to use cap space. So it'll enable guys to get waived when the team doesn't want them anymore and allow the teams the flexibility. I really like that rule a lot, personally. Yeah, and, and another team that utilized that was the Lakers when, you know, we're back to talking about Luol Deng again. Yeah. Uh, yeah when yeah. they did waive Luol Deng, they waived him at the specific time where, you know, after August 31st, because, you know, that that date still existed under the old rule, where they waived him after August 31st, and then that upcoming season wasn't waived. So his full, you know, $2 billion or whatever salary was <laughs> under the Lakers, you know, didn't get stretched. And that meant that the stretch in the subsequent years, that the amount that was stretched was much lower in every year. That gave the Lakers more cap room. So they just accelerated the stretch for Luol Deng effectively to give them more cap room the following year. So they just relax. Again, let's 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 not sweat the big stuff. I mean, the small stuff. Um, they just relaxed the stretch rule. And another thing that they did was stretch. Um, and and to be clear, there's actually two kinds of stretch. You stretch the actual money that you pay the player. So that's stretching for cash purposes. And you also could elect to stretch the cap hit, you know, stretching for cap purposes. So a player's salary was always automatically stretched for the purposes of for cash purposes, the money you're actually paying the player. But the team got to elect whether to stretch for cap purposes. They they might want to be completely off the salary in another year and not stretch it over three years, for example. So so teams can elect to do that. And again, loosening it a little bit. So they did two things to loosen it. One, there was a $250,000 bin. So anything below two fifty dollars was peanuts. We're not going to stretch that. It's too small to stretch. That limit's increased to 500000 So now if it's 500000 or below, then it's peanuts. We're not going to bother stretching that. Um, but they also, um, instead of increasing that 250 limit to 500000 for both kinds of stretch, they only did it for cash purposes. For cash purposes, I'm sorry, for cap purposes, um, they eliminated that $250,000 minimum. So you're, you're all now under the new rules to summarize for paying the player his actual paychecks. Um, he gets it all according to schedule. If it's a half a million still out or below and it gets stretched if it's a half million, um, if it's above a half a million. And then for the cap hit, the team can elect to stretch any amount. So they can stretch $1 into $3 hypothetically. 
Um, and so you can have a, a situation, by the way, where um, a player is stretched for cap purposes, but not stretched at all for cash purposes, which couldn't exist in the previous agreement. Yeah. Well, Demetrius Jackson still on on the Celtics books for one more year at uh, $92,857. So, yeah, you could see some pretty small amounts uh, stretched. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is one that, again, hasn't been talked about that much. I think it's interesting. I think I like it, but I wanted to get your thought. on So previous to this, there's this implied no trade clause that basically a lot like if you would lose your bird rights by getting traded, let's say the most typical example is someone who signs the qualifying offer as a restricted free agent, right? So they're on a one-year deal at the conclusion of that deal. They've already been on the team four years before that. And so they would have bird rights at the end of that deal. However, if they got traded on that one-year deal, they would not have the bird rights with their new team. And therefore, they would lose that. And so that's why there was a no trade clause because they wouldn't have a way to get paid with their new team in theory. And now you're in a situation where the team and player can agree to waive that at the time of signing the new one-year contract. So you can say, hey, you know what? Like, we'll pay you more money now, but you have to agree to waive this implied no trade at the time of signing so you don't have leverage over us later. It's basically the team, in theory, paying the player more to have the right to trade him even in this situation. And of course, the two parties would agree on that and the player presumably would be incentivized in some fashion to do that. And also because he's making more money, then maybe he would have still that 120% bird rights and the new destination would be enough. What do you think of that rule? Um, I like it. And this is another case of them trying to fix things because of unintended consequences. So the reason the rule exists in the first place, where a a player under a one-year contract who would have bird rights at the end of that year, um, his bird rights drop would drop from full bird to non-bird because they don't want that kind of, you know, stepping up the basis with one team in order for just to set up a trade um, to another team where that team gets to take advantage of the, of the bird rights that accrued by that previous team. Um, uh, You know, under longer deals, that's fine. That's the usual situation of bird rights are traded with the player, but a one-year contract, there was ways to, you know, kind of gain this one of the ways to gain the system. And, they ended up saying, well, we're going to prevent that happening by saying you don't get full bird rights. You have to um, have enough tenure with that team now to regain those bird rights. You can't just under a one-year contract, you can't gain those bird rights just by virtue of a trade from a team that signed you to a one-year contract. There's too many ways around that. Unintended consequences, it disincentivized a lot of contracts that teams and players would want to sign because teams would say, 
I don't want to sign a player with who's going to have a no trade clause hanging over me. I don't want to lose the, the flexibility I have to, to move players when I want to. I don't want the players having the control to say, no, I don't want that. There are negotiated no trade clauses in the system, but that's a conscious decision that happens with like superstars and that's fine. Yeah. That, and you got the four and eight limitation there too. So it's, it, exactly. It's very, yeah, and exactly. you have to become a free agent. You can't get an extension. So there, there's a lot of limitations. Uh, right. Only, only team, a player as good as Bradley Beal deserves it. Exactly. Yeah. So the team makes a conscious decision in that case that, you know, separate and apart from any other decision and adding a no trade clause when you qualify is an extra decision you can enter into and not or not enter into. But if you sign one of your players under this circumstance to a one-year deal, that no trade clause kind of came as part of the package. You couldn't separate it out. And that disincentivized teams and players from signing those, those kind of one-year contracts. And, uh, you know, with, which, which prevented some signings that teams otherwise would have wanted to make. So now they're separating those two things, just like a no trade clause with the superstar, a negotiated one is a separate transaction from the rest of the contract. Now, the no trade clause, it can be a separate transaction where when you negotiate the, the contract, you also have the opportunity to negotiate whether that no trade clause stays in or goes out. So if a team wants to have the flexibility to tell the player, we're not going to sign this under those circumstances because we don't want you holding this over us, um, they don't have to sign that that kind of agreement. But otherwise, if the team and the player agree, here's more flexibility where we can get a contract done that we're both going to be happy with. Yeah, and we'll see. I think a lot of players just aren't going to have the leverage in that situation. And so they'll just end up having maybe not getting more money, but also having to potentially give away their bird rights. But in situations where the players do have the leverage, uh, then mm-hmm. maybe they would actually get, get paid a little bit more. Uh, a couple of really small things we can hit here. I don't think we need to analyze them, but I want to just be thorough. I actually think this is a good thing. Uh, a player is dismissed and disqualified under the anti-drug program. We've seen that happen to Tyreek Evans, OJ Mayo in recent years. Now they're eligible to apply for reinstatement in 12 months rather than 24 months. I think that's good. Like the, the NBA had this really stringent anti-drug policy going back to the 80s when these were considered major problems. And you know, I think we've come to a different understanding of situations like that. And so this they don't have to take them back. This is just when you're eligible to apply for reinstatement. They can still say you're not allowed back in, but to at least make that 12 months instead of 24, I I think that's still plenty punitive and also allows for more rehabilitation. uh, Right. And and overall, these are young guys and young guys often make mistakes and, you know, they have maturing to do in many cases. And this allows for that possibility. So I'm all in favor of that. Yeah, as you said, they don't have to take them back, but they can if the situation works. And then there's another small one here. Profanity is now allowed in interviews. <laughs> oh, thank God. Find guys for that anymore. Well, well another one that, that I saw, again, one we don't have to analyze, the whole leaving the bench one game suspension if there's an altercation on the court, right? Well, okay, so something happens, players jump up and take a step into the court, uh, you know, one game suspension automatically, even if they think better about it. It was just in that one split second that that they were like, what? Yeah. And now they take into account, okay, how far did you go onto the court? You know, what did you enter this whole thing? They're allowed to have that kind of discussion. 
escalation when deciding whether to, to penalize the player. Oh, let me tell you, man, it's the David Stern would never never stand <laughs> for this. It's got to be a bright line rule. Uh, okay, so we have two things left that I, that we probably need to hit on here. I'll let you pick which one we're going to talk about first. The first one. <laughs> we have the games played requirement for generally recognized league honors, and oh, we have changes changes to the two way contracts. Which one do you want? All right, let's get let's get the the sillier one out of the way first. Uh, that would be the games played requirements. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, first of all, what the heck is that doing in the CBA? place well it has to be in there it has to be in there because you need to know what the criteria are for that because it affects how much guys can get paid like if you're gonna have these criteria and you also have these league honors leading to guys getting paid more then you have to put it in cba right yeah which is his own problem you know in and of itself but you know and that said this is another one of those cases where a rule is put in to fix a problem um, in in a way that doesn't really fix the problem, right? They're trying to minimize rest days by incentivizing the players to to play and not take rest days. Uh, you you know the the players aren't the ones deciding. I, I want a mental health. I want a vacation day today. I want to you know I I'm, I'm want to go shopping with my kid. Yeah, you know these are team decisions to rest players for strategic purposes and to make sure the player lasts the season and and to tie that the the two together i think you're not addressing what the problem is so let's go through what these are anyway my feeling on this just generally is that i I think it's dumb uh i think that voters already consider games played and minutes played uh, although there's now a specific instruction to voters that they must consider the aggregate yeah, uh, including both minutes played and games played. Like, oh, uh, that never occurred to me. That's important. Uh, <laughs> but uh, then again, I guess I'm not a voter. Maybe some do need that. You scored 40 points a game. You played two games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, to me, and this is to be eligible for, you got to play basically 65 games. There, there's a few things that that are caveats to that that we don't need to get into. Uh, but so this is to be eligible for MVP, All NBA, Defensive Player of the Year, All Defensive Team, or Most Improved. So a few exempted things. Interestingly, Rookie of the Year is uh, exempted uh, from that, and All Rookie, of course, you would if you had these requirements for All Rookie, you probably wouldn't even get ten qualifying rookies some years. <laughs> and that's, true. that's that's part be, of the reason, right? Right. Well, because a game only counts if you play twenty minutes in it. Uh, uh-huh. Essentially, there's a you, you get like two games, that, three games that you can uh, play two games we have less than, than twenty minutes in. Yeah. So or yeah, whatever it is, I I don't care. It's it's so dumb, but. See, uh, yeah but but it it was so interesting to me and i think this is part of it that these are one of one of the things that got the most pub early on in in the negotiation process that this is going to be there and i don't think it's a coincidence that the nba is trying to negotiate their new tv deal in the next year and that this is just basically see we're doing something about this we're not going to tolerate this like our regular season products be better it's probably not going to be ultimately and there there aren't that many players where making all nba is going to matter for how much money they're making you might see guys in the fourth year of their rookie scale contract or trying who are in like their seventh or eighth year trying to make designated player veteran extension eligibility where it might make a difference for them other than that i don't necessarily think that it will 
Uh, and I guess the only other thing we can talk about here is uh, it's now everything's positionless now with all NBA and all defensive team. What do you make of that? Yeah, well, it, it's it's I, I think it's a good thing. Um, and I think we mentioned this last time, right? Uh, the the three of the top players in the league are fives, which is a situation that usually didn't exist before, you know. And 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 before when it was you know all all the positions, you know, five was uh, was separate from four and three in these in these things. You know, you get a couple couple of good centers and one's going to be second team and you know one's going to be third team so now the situation that we have it, you know where where we have have Jokic and Embiid uh you know and um you know other other good players uh it 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 lets the best players be on the first team which uh, again if incentives and things are are tied to that then it kind of makes sense i like it for all nba because the league is about stars it's about having those one or two guys on your team like that's what truly drives winning so so i like that aspect of it i like the idea of the 15 best players being on that that list so you don't get a few of these guys who are you know just not that good frankly uh, that's happened a lot at the forward position lately that offsets the 65 games played requirement at least a little bit to me because you still will will be able to reach deeper into positions if you need to uh i don't really like it for all defense though uh because i think because now the voters may just pick guards anyway because they don't understand like who the most valuable defensive players are it's just so hard for a guard to be one of the top 10 most valuable defensive players in the Uh league so it's really going to skew towards centers and and bigs maybe a few wings and that i don't like that as much i i just i want the best guards to be recognized and this isn't going to do like i think because you have to really build a full team defensively so i i do think that like if you're a guard you should be recognized even yes we realize that you're not as valuable but i still want to know some of the best some of the best wing defenders could be guys who just don't play all that the regular minutes they're more situational players well, yeah, I kind of, I kind of like that a little bit though too, because I, I like Matisse Seibel making it. I never really cared for that because to me, he didn't play enough to be that valuable. He wasn't closing games. His offense was so bad that he was playing like 21 minutes a game. So I actually don't mind that aspect of it. I like it uh, that it's you there. I would put the requirement lower, but uh, in terms sure. of yeah, if it's just a pure defensive specialist who doesn't play that much, it's hard to be that valuable to me. But uh, well, but yeah. we're not talking about that valuable. Period. We're talking about that valuable as a defender if we're talking about all defense. So, yeah, but, yeah. but if you only play 20 minutes a game and another guy plays 35, it's hard to be that valuable. If you can't be on the floor at the end of the, the most important times of the game, then how valuable can you be as a defender? Good discussion over a beer. <laughs> Well, and, and then mean, the other thing. But wait, we're, thing not, we're not drinking beers right now. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's a work day for me. Yeah, and, and the other thing about the the um, this whole rule, you know, it's it's not this that they put the rule in, but now you have to add all the ancillary rules to cover all the nuances, right? Well, what if it's an extraordinary circumstance where the guy played, you know, just under. But he really should be considered. Well, what if it's a situation where it's a pandemic and the league doesn't play 82 games? Do we still want to keep it at 65? You know, well, but what if, well, but what if, well, but what if? And then the CBA is a thousand pages long. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid scale solar energy in Ohio and 
producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Okay, let's talk about the two-way contracts. What are the changes going to be to two-way contracts? A few of these are, have kind of already been phased in as a result of the, the pandemic, but just comparing it to the 2017 CBA, what do we got there? Yeah, and and you're right. A lot of this is just saying um, they, they made changes because of the pandemic and said, you know, this makes a lot more sense to do it this way. So one of the nice things, there's now three two-way players per team instead of just two. Um, which it is 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 good, right? There, it, it's clearly a system that works. Why not expand on that? Um, and the, instead of a player having a very small salary when he's playing under the G League and an NBA salary, you know, prorated by day for when he's with the NBA team, it's just fifty percent of the rookie minimum salary. So it just makes it easier. Yeah, and that uh, had already been implemented, but it was that the whole service time. How many how many days he actually with the team? Did he practice that day? Was he flying somewhere? Like that was all. That was all so miserable. Now it's just there's a limitation on the number of games you can play, and he has a flat out. Exactly. It's 50 game limit on the active list for games during the regular season, um, you know, which is prorated down if it's if players sign partway through the season. Um, and and then um, they did put in some protection for one of the problems. And the problem was teams that opted to, have to sign a two-way player rather than the 15th guy on the roster, carry 14 regular, regular NBA players on the roster and fill in the rest with two-way players. Agents of these players are saying, you know, our players are getting screwed. We should be in that 15th roster spot. Only the team doesn't want to do that 15th roster spot because they got to pay more. Well, now if the team has fewer than 15 players on you know regular NBA contracts, um, then they call that a quote unquote under 15 game. Um, and then a team can't have um, two-way players on their active list for more than 90 of these under 15 games during the regular season period. So it makes it so you can't just do two two-way players and not sign the 15th player, just carry that for the season. You've got to have a regular uh, guy in there. Otherwise, you're going to run out of those quote-unquote under 15 games and you're going to have to do it anyways. Yeah, that was something that came up with the Warriors uh, this year because uh, they only had 14 roster spots. Uh, another Another change that they've made to accommodate that third two-way spot is that now you have 21 off-season roster spots rather than 20. Mm-hmm. So you're not disadvantaged there. Uh, well, it's just another good thing. Again, it's more opportunity for players to be seen in camp uh, and and get that that kind of exposure, that kind of opportunity. And then also the signing deadline has been moved back. It used to be January 15th was the deadline to sign a two-way contract. Now that's been moved all the way back to March 3rd. I, I think that's a, a good thing as well. I'll just give a little bit more flexibility there. And just to close it out, international player payments. This is something that doesn't get a ton of reporting or anything, but teams can pay. I forget what the number is in this first year. It's like around a million bucks, I think, uh, 
that you can pay basically directly to an international player's team to release him from his contract, basically pay his buyout for him. If you do that, you now have to bring the guy over essentially for a real contract. You can't do that and then bring the guy over for a two-way. The idea is is essentially, hey, if you're going to do this, utilize this mechanism. He's got to be important enough to merit a real NBA contract. Is the right, thinking. which makes complete sense. And then if this third two-way spot if it does lead to the league doing what you were talking about and only signing 14 players to real contracts over and over again, if the NBA basically averages fewer than 14.5 full roster spots per team in two consecutive years, the Players Association can say, all right, we're, this isn't working. We're going to eliminate this third two-way spot and go back to the way it was. They have that, right. that ability. And then the, also, this is nice as well, that you can pay a guy up to $75,000, waive him, and then get him in the G League. Uh, it used to be $50,000. So that, that's just a good way to like get more guys into the system, like $75,000. That's like an actual living for a year, 50000 you know, it's, it's getting a little closer to not being that. So, and it's yeah, going to go 50000 50, was the maximum guarantee for a G League player. And they up that guarantee to 75000 So that's why that that's why that incentive to, to go to the G League and play for your team was up. Now, and then, so I would say you, you think it's a like unequivocally a good thing to have a third two way. I think with the protection that teams can't just use those in lieu of having that 15th roster spot. Um, I, I, I mean, unequivocally that's, that's <laughs> sorry. I never should have used such a, a, a draconian word when I'm talking to you. I, I, I know you would never agree to that. You, you overall think it's a good thing. Is that? Is that yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now that you soften the language there. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I, again, it is a development contract. It provides, well, first of all, it provides for more jobs for more players at a better salary. Now we're at, you know, half the, the NBA rookie salary. It provides more development opportunities and, and teams are finding players in the G league and developing them. And they're becoming strong, productive NBA players. You know, Alex, Caruso is an example of that. There are many more. Yeah, to me, I'm I'm kind of torn on it because I think it it elevates and gives more opportunities for guys who aren't that good and allows them to get paid. Now, if you're basically talking about 18 guys per team, but I think it also limits what guys who are really good and outperform those two-way contracts could do. They're kind of stuck on a two-way. Whereas before, if you were the best player in the G League, nobody would sign you. Then you would just sign an actual NBA contract and be on that NBA contract. And so for teams that don't have uh, suffer a bunch of injuries during the season or something like that, it can, to me, lead to a lowered quality of play because if you need to sign new guys, there just isn't anyone out there anymore. There are, and that's going to be, that's already been the case. And so I think throughout the league, it probably leads to a lower overall quality of play because if a team just needs to sign guys with an injury exception or something like that, who has to play, like that guy's just going to be awful. Now, some of those teams want that guy to be awful <laughs> at the end of the yeah, year. I, I, yeah, but, I, I think that's a good point. More players are spoken for in a league where right. there are three-way contracts. That, that That's a very good point. Now, um, now you can also argue though, hey, every team already has three guys who are talented. You should be able to identify guys who are good and they've been in your system all year. So you should be able You've to bring them in. You've already got that guy. There's no reason to go shop the market. Yeah. So, but some teams will 
do a bad job with their two ways. And, and, and uh, well, teams, so. teams switch two ways during the season already anyway. So yeah, we, we can see a lot of shuffling like that too. And then in terms of, yeah, there are situations where a, a good G league player by not being on a 10 day contract, I mean, on a two way contract would, you know, could become a, um, a, a free agent and then sign a regular deal the next year. Um, yes, there will be exceptions, but by and large, in, uh, in the aggregate, you know, is the net benefit a positive, even though there are individual exceptions? And I think it's a yes. The one thing I really wish they would have changed that they didn't is the qualifying offer for guys coming off of two ways. That's that's miserable. It's basically just another two way in a lot of situations. And that's to me, if you're going to hold a guy restricted, like you need to offer him at least a real NBA contract at that point to like hold on to a guy's rights. Was there was there a qualifying offer change on that? I remember. Let me see. I, I don't I don't recall seeing it. I was looking for it and I didn't find it. We're requiring 15 days on active or inactive list eliminated. Yeah, I so, guess. Yeah. So anyone is now required that I think that was just like basically two way guys who didn't play at all in the NBA didn't you could just keep them without having to actually give them a qualifying offer as a restricted right. agent. So now uh, that seems like a relatively ancillary change. Uh, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I don't love that. All right. Uh, but one thing I do love is sports business classroom, whereas you like to say you are immersed in the summer league, you are so deep in the summer league that you can't even see the surface. You're going to forget about your real life for a week. You're going to forget about your family, your friends, everything. You are just going to be immersed in basketball at sports business classroom, the NBA summer league. You're going to be so deep. It's you're going to be looking up to see the court. <laughs> yeah. So sports business classroom is going to be July 9th through 15th at the NBA summer league at the Thomas and Mac arena um, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, if you've, if you've ever been to summer league, you know that the entire league is there, you know, it, and if you're looking at, at the business of basketball and you want to be around, you know, front office people, people who are in the, the kinds of jobs that you want to be in or, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. The superstar players aren't playing, but you know, you're seeing one Bayana this year. You're seeing all, all sorts of, of great rookies and young players this year. But if you're interested in the business of basketball, the entire this may not occur anywhere else in sports. I can't think of any other example where the entire organization, the entire league is there in one building for an extended length of time in a relaxed environment. So if you're looking to network with people, if you're looking to um, you know pick people's brains, if you're looking if if you're looking to to make those sorts of connections and and the kinds of learning experiences, there there's no other place to be that's that's better than being at the NBA Summer League and Sports Business Classroom. Like I said, we're right in the arena uh, because we are part and parcel of Summer League. So it means that we can bring everybody from the league. You know, I've grabbed everybody from Adam Silver uh, all the way down to, you know, scouts and analytics people say, hey, come talk to our class, and, you know, and, and we will have um, people come in because they're right there. And we're also doing the opposite. We're, we're taking the converse. We're taking you and putting you out into the arena. We have assignments for you, scouting assignments, other things like that that you're doing. You can scout games with NBA scouts and pick their brain about what they're doing and see what they're looking for and, and noting. You can have your own work sort of critiqued. Um, you get great academics. One of the things I say that if you're looking for a job in the league, 
I like the people who are not just a specialist in one thing. You know, yeah, there are salary cap specialists and there are scouts who specialize in scouting, but it's the people who have a broad breadth of knowledge who can connect the dots. Those kinds of people have value and it's all about providing value. So I'm going to give you an education in everything, the cap, scouting, analytics, uh, you know, even media and broadcast because people flip around so much. Um, between the two. And also, you need to know how to deal with media and broadcast people if you're going to be in a front office job. Um, we're giving you work assignments. We're elevating your your breadth of knowledge, putting your feet to the fire in certain circumstances where you're almost playing with live ammo in, in doing some of these as- assignments um, because we are right there making it as realistic as possible. So I don't think there's any better opportunity in sports. If you're looking to get immersed in the NBA, looking for one of those jobs in the NBA, we've between, um, SBC and the, um, the, the summer league, um, interns who, you know, also are in that situation. Yeah. I think the count now is like 200 people who have gotten jobs in the league. I just heard yesterday about one more of our, um, uh, of our alumni, um, from last year, who's, who's now working for a team. So, you know, people are coming to the sports business classroom to get that education, to, um, do that kind of work, to build their network. It's not who you know, it's who knows you. Um, they're coming to the sports business classroom to get all that and they're getting it. And the success ratio is, is really, really high. So I'm, I'm really proud of the program. Nate, you and I, developed it together um, where I think there was like one weekend in San Francisco where we just locked ourselves up and and hammered out a bunch of stuff. And then right before the program, that first year, you pulled an all-nighter and hammered out a, a lot of the rest of it. Um, and the bones of that are still there. We've grown, grown it every year, made it better every year. And I, I think it's, it's results and its reputation speaks for itself. So again, um, July 9th through 16th at the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas, go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com to register. But like I said, Nate, we, uh, I have a lot of jobs at this point in the year, especially in a CBA year where not only am I um, doing my usual thing of coordinate everything, coordinating everything to develop the program and getting everybody registered and, and dealing you know, with the incoming students uh, and, and all the work that goes with that. This year, I've got to revamp a whole lot of stuff because there's a new CBA. So all my CBA content is stale at this point, and I've got to spend some serious time with that. So I would love to get registration just closed off by June 15th. That's my goal. So um, all all that leads up to say, okay, if you if you are interested in joining, um, since you're a Dunktown listener, since you've listened to this podcast, and um, because I'm going to use a different code for this, if you use Nate's regular cap space code, I'm going to give you three hundred dollars off, like I always do. But if you use the code, I don't know what should be used. I'm just going to say June 15. If you use the code June 15, I'm going to up it to five hundred dollars off. But you have to use it by 
June 15th, hence the code. Easy to remember. <laughs> if you are a Dunk Time listener, you use the code June 15th. By June 15th, I'm going to give you $500 off because I want to get this baby put to bed. All right. And the one thing I'll add to is you're just going to have a great time. It's going to be amazing. Like it, you are going to meet a ton of people that really love sports. If you're the, you're the person who loves basketball the most in your friend group and you just you've never been able to find people who share that passion like this is the place to do that and whether you're trying to get a job in the league whether you just absolutely love basketball and want to see what's out there for you i highly recommend doing this uh, of course and uh, again that code is june 15th so thanks everyone for listening larry thanks for joining us uh, and we will talk to you all next time in addition to taking advantage of that promo code for sports business classroom Again, this is a great time to subscribe to Dunked On Prime with our mock off-season sale. You can subscribe at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 